I am so glad that you are joining Cindy LeFevre Yorks for this episode of His GPS for Your SOS. We pray these encouraging words will enrich and bless your day. Thank you for joining me for this pop-up episode of His GPS for Your SOS, Taking the High Road, Postures of Bipartisan Prayer. With the elections behind us, it might feel like there's nothing left to be done. Voting is complete, and recounting in some races is ongoing. But complaining, criticizing, dissing candidates and issues, all these activities continue. In fact, complaining has never been more in vogue or more prolific. Whether expressed on social media or on Yelp, forms of undermining or discrediting individuals or groups not in sync with the current climate is plentiful and popular. Sadly, a not-so-funny thing happens on the road to complaint. One proverbial parrot starts a diatribe, and all those behind him follow suit. Soon, a cacophony of complaints drowns out the civil discussion. Environments where people once agreed to disagree have become critically toxic. Relationships are severed. People are canceled. Where will it end? There's no telling how bad the climate will deteriorate when it comes to the intolerance of differentiation. As is the case with any social problem, the best place for us to begin to facilitate a solution is to begin with ourselves. Whether your candidates, issues, or propositions prevailed, a posture of prayer is the best place to start. In fact, I deliberately delayed this podcast about government to upload after the election because this is the work we are all commanded to do by God and undertake it. God cares far less about whether or not or for whom you voted than he does about your persistence and frequency in prayer, about your hot-button issues, and your leaders, among other things. We are told throughout Scripture to pray for our leaders. In Daniel's prayer to God about the leaders of Babylon, he praises God for setting up kings and deposing them. Totalitarian regimes may be deluded into thinking they've taken power, and democracies are under the impression that elections are determining the winner. That's true to some degree, but God is the one who's ultimately in charge. He permits the rule of those in power. Even in this broken world, where occasionally corrupt men rule, God uses them all for His plans and purposes too. Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 to pray for kings in high positions. But sadly, we are often more inclined to complain than we are to pray. There will be times that we may even loathe those who are in power. And if you are a person who truly believes the current government is your enemy, you can opt for the same game plan Jesus lays out in Matthew 5, 43-45. He says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's a tall order, but you can do it with God's help. Prayer can do far more, of course, than simply change our political climate. It can also change the heart of a person, apathetic to politics and the world around them. It's easy to be complacent and think that one vote, or even a robust pattern of systematic prayer, can really change anything. But the Word of God tells us differently. James reminds us in chapter 5, verse 16 of this book, that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. It's important to remember this when we feel overwhelmed with weighty global concerns, or even something as limited in scope as regional or municipal matters. Philippians 4, 6-7 reminds us to cast all our anxieties on Him because He cares for us, not just some, 
but all. When we undertake that kind of all-encompassing posture of prayer, it changes our individual hearts, too. We lean into trusting God more and fretting about the world less. There's another miraculous, impactful bonus of change promised in God's Word when we commit to praying for our leaders. Obedience to God and deference to authority can truly foster change in the political landscape. God spoke of this mighty change through the prophets in Second Chronicles 7.14. He says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Imagine the power of such a prayer when petitioned with a band of brothers. Imagine the power of such a prayer when petitioned by a band of brothers with true and contrite hearts. Then imagine it lifted up by hundreds of thousands of people who want the Lord to rule and reign on earth as He does in heaven. Join me in praying sincerely, consistently, and with our whole heart for our government, whether we agree or disagree with their public policy, as our almighty, omniscient God has commanded. I will now read an excerpt from my first book, The Side Door, and this entry is entitled, Unwrapping Present Moment Gifts, Saying No to Tomorrow's Worry. I know a woman who is paralyzed by the possibility of the future, both short and long term. She refuses to swim in the ocean. She is consumed by thoughts of potential natural disasters. She white-knuckles the wheel when she's driving and micromanages others as they drive. For her, illness is around every corner. As a friend, I remind her that worry might actually shorten her life. Yet she simply shrugs her shoulders, says it's how she's wired, and can't help it. But the truth is that we can, with God's help. He invites us to give it all to Him in Matthew eleven twenty nine when He says, His burden is light. God does not mean for us to stay awake at night worrying about the next president or whether nuclear war is imminent. While concern and subsequent prayer about the issues of the day is appropriate, the counterproductive state of worry is not. In fact, worry is the antithesis of trust in God, and therefore it is both a sin and a barrier to intimate relationship with Him. We can begin the process of freeing ourselves from worry about tomorrow by identifying the difference between concern and worry. That difference lies more in approach than actual definitions. A little light bulb went off in my head when I read this on a job coaching website. Worry is problem-oriented. Concern is solution-oriented. We can't resolve all concern, but we can manage them. Worry registers higher on the Richter scale of emotional seismic activity than concern does. A concerned person may weigh potential solutions, taking a more logical approach to handling them by putting pen to paper. These people recognize and accept what they may not change. Worriers let things spin around in their heads. They don't take irrational thoughts captive. They don't permit perspective or seek wise counsel. Instead, they're inclined to vent or isolate themselves as their blood pressure steadily rises. I believe there's a reason Jesus gave the famous sermon on a mountain. When you're on top of a mountain, you have a perspective over all that's below you. But when you stand on a flat plain, you don't have a complete view. A worrier sees the plain, but the concerned Christian takes a mountaintop viewpoint, as Jesus did in Matthew 6.27, when he says, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life?
He never worried, but instead moved forward in faith, even as he marched to the cross. Thankfully, both the concerned and the worried are invited to ditch their burdens. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And that's from Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two. When you do, and you stand on the mountaintop of God's perspective, you are securely positioned to endure. And the keys to kingdom living are, give God your burdens and say no to the trap of worry. And the doorpost is, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew six thirty four. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of His GPS for your SOS. Cindy also posts encouragement daily on Instagram. Her blogs can be found on her website, cindyyorks.com. Her entire Door Devotion trilogy is now available on Amazon.